Welcome to Veza Talks Podcast. My name is Mario Milanovic, and I'm super pleased today to welcome Eric Melkor. Uh, Eric is the host of the Innovators Can Laugh podcast, love that name, and the Partnership and Personalization Ambassador at Optimunk. Eric moved from Texas with his family to start a new life in Romania. He's obsessed with building and strengthening deep relationships, and he built a rich network for himself out of nothing. Many of his podcast guests are now some of his greatest friendships. Welcome, Eric. Hey, thanks, Mario. Pleasure being here. Awesome. So that's really cool. So uh, you have your own podcast, and uh, so you're an experienced podcaster, I suppose. And uh, before we get into uh, all your uh, business uh, wisdoms and everything like that, uh, tell, uh, tell our audience a little bit about yourself and where you're from and uh, you know how uh, or what made you move uh, away from the U.S. Uh, to Europe. Yeah, yeah. So from Texas, uh, as, as you mentioned, and uh, I've got two kids. They keep me pretty busy. They're ages five and three. And uh, I enjoy playing tennis. In fact, I play tennis with Roger Federer. I, uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I open YouTube and, uh, you know, I type in his name and I get in front of the, uh, the TV and, and swing my racket like I'm, you know, playing against him. <laughs> but, yeah, and my background is primarily in digital marketing, and then I moved into uh, personalization and uh, a little bit of, of other things like related to partnerships. But mostly the big change, though, was moving from corporate America into startups. And I did that when I moved over here to Romania a little over two years ago. So it's not just a, a life-changing event, but also a career-changing event. And um it's so far the transition at the very beginning was was difficult as one can expect, but it's all starting to work out, and a lot of it has to do with the podcast that I created. Amazing. So, what made you uh, choose Romania? Well, my wife is from here. We met about fourteen years ago. I worked here for one year, and okay. she was working in the same building. And we happened to uh, walk to the subway together one evening, and we were we had a great conversation and. I think we maybe talked for about 15 or 20 minutes until she got off on her stop. And when she got off, I had said to myself, I'm going to marry that girl. And uh, I ended up going back to Houston. We had started dating and I, uh, we were long distance. And so I was flying back here to visit with her. I would meet her in Paris or we'd meet in Spain. And uh, I convinced her to go to Houston, at least try it out for six months just to see if it would work out. And uh, she was able to go there on a student visa and it worked out, of course, and we got married a couple of years later, and we had a good life there for about 10 years uh, before we moved back here to Bucharest. Amazing. So, yeah, I, mean, I left uh, San Diego in 2012, and uh, the reasons for me were at the time, even though it's been over 10 years, is that I really saw a switch in the culture uh, and uh, I really didn't uh, jive with it anymore. I really wanted to be more in a, uh, I guess, traditional society, one that places more value on uh, family and friends, especially friends. And I didn't, I didn't find that uh, in, in, in the U.S. culture. You know, yeah, everybody is hustling, and you can make a lot of money, but uh, I felt like uh, all my friends needed to be booked, which I really don't, don't, uh, don't like, and... Uh, you know, uh, moved to Canada, and Canada is very similar. And so moving to Europe, I spent most of my time in uh, Eastern Europe, in Serbia, but I also spent my winters in Asia. 
And so, yeah, I can, uh, you know, I, I can relate to uh, wanting a more rich uh, experience. And I imagine that you moved from the U.S. for similar reasons. It was. We got the conversation started uh, with safety because once we had our kids and I was taking them to daycare, it was crazy. But I started looking for uh, gaps in the facility where somebody could just walk in quite easily with a gun and start you know, shooting up the place. And that's, that's crazy for a parent, the ideas for a parent to have. And I, I just didn't want my kids to grow up in a childhood where they had to be constantly aware of their settings and their environment. And I didn't want to really be growing up in a place where, oh God, I, I don't know if I want to piss off the wrong person because of road rage or, and it didn't matter where you were. It didn't matter if it was in a school or a movie theater or a church. It's just that that gun violence seemed to be happening more and more. And because Texas is a place where you could pretty much carry a gun, um, you know, in, in addition to owning one at the age of 18, I just felt like, you know, I lived in Romania. I, I can't say it was the greatest place, but I enjoyed meeting the people. I enjoyed my time there. And we listed, when we listed the pros and cons, starting with safety first, there was a, a lot of other pros. The weather was great here. There was four seasons. Right. From Bucharest, you can access the mountains and the beach within a couple of hours. Right. Even outside of Romania, there's a lot of great places to visit in Europe that are very short distances. Cost of living, that was a big benefit. And so when sure. we listed down the pros and cons, there was a lot of pros here. I mean, obviously, family was the biggest con because my family's in the States, but my wife's family's here, so that was another big pro. My, my kids could get to know her side of the family. And so when COVID happened and we started working remote, we just had a newborn and my son was only three, so trying to juggle a newborn and a three-year-old while trying to work at the same time in the States, because obviously my wife, she had to go back to work after three months, it was almost impossible. We were going to go crazy. And right. so her mom was able to help out with the kids here. And so it was kind of an easy decision to come here um, at that time. And the transition has been, I would have to say, like I said, it was difficult in the beginning, but for the most part, the transition has been good. Right. Well, that's awesome. I know in the last three years since I've been living here, uh, more and more people from the U.S. and uh, Canada and I suppose Australia, Western world, have, have been coming to Eastern Europe and seeing the benefits of being uh, in a society that actually uh, networks but doesn't know they're networking. <laughs> you know, <laughs> all, all the cafes are full. Uh, people are, are socializing all the time. I mean, I, I literally have to, you know... Uh, beat people of a stick because it's just you, you just can't handle the amount of requests to go for coffee every single day and it's and it's very spontaneous and uh, you know that camaraderie uh, is really 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 important in my opinion which because that's what forms society that's what forms uh, communities and uh, it it feels with the way that digitalization of our lives is going that more and more people are going to be uh, by themselves, uh, looking at a screen, and you know it's almost becoming an effort now that you have to go out with your friends and spend time with uh, other people, which is kind of sad, right? So yeah, there's still places in the world where people are actually uh, still uh, yearning to spend time with other people, which is really refreshing. So I like that. I think that's one of the the pluses for, uh, especially Eastern Europe. I think Western Europe is basically becoming, uh, uh, you know, North America. 
So it's it's unfortunate, but that's what it is. So yeah, that's cool. So great. So you moved to uh, Romania, and now you're working remotely. And uh, I think you were... Uh, take us through some of the uh, companies uh, uh, that you uh, uh, worked with. Yeah, Mario, you said something that you get so many requests for people to go out to coffee. And I I know what you mean there, because it happens to me all the time where somebody who's sort of in the same industry, they want to meet up. And the problem is, is that I've got two little kids and usually two or three nights a week, I have phone calls in the evening after dinner time with the customers or clients or partners in the States. So my weekdays are pretty filled. Plus I've got the two little kids. How do I meet up with these people that want to get together for lunch or coffee? And I actually started throwing cocktail parties and it's like a two hour cocktail party usually on a Monday night from like 6 to 8 p.m. And I invite all the people that wanted to get together in person, plus other people that I'm interested in meeting. Usually it's a group of like 17 to 25 people, and it's worked out fantastic. I've hosted four of them, most of them in Bucharest. I did one in Cluj. I went to visit Cluj for the first time, and I thought there's a lot of people up there that I wanted to meet. And while I was there for a few days, I thought, let me throw a cocktail party. And I called this co-working spot and I said, hey, you know, you've got this space. I would love to host this cocktail party there. In fact, a lot of people who are going to be attending may be potential clients for you. And we worked out, you know, a good deal where I could host it there for free. And it was fantastic because it, it wasn't just a networking. A lot of these people created relationships and friendships. And it was just good to like get to know other people, meet other people, and uh, start building a good, you know, good network and friendships from, from that event alone. So if you want any uh, suggestions on like what to do on how to throw a good cocktail party, there's a, it's quite easy, but there's a lot of little things like you know, name tags are a very good thing because when you wear a name tag, it kind of makes everybody equal and approachable. Right? right. And so now somebody sees, oh, you're Mario. However, you know, you know, nice to meet you. And there's also little things like before the party itself, I tend to send out an email to everybody and I kind of introduce everybody in their own little way. You know, oh, you know, Mario's going to be there. He used to live in San Diego. You know, ask him about what it's like living in uh, an Asian in the, in the winter. So there's like this little background about people to kind of get everybody hyped up about right. going and meeting other people. And I've gotten better as I've done each one. But it's worked out wonders in being able to connect with like 15, 20 people in one two-hour setting. And it makes you sort of like the popular person in the room or in the city because now you start to get invited for other things too. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I, I love it. It's amazing how, you know, uh, we think the world is small in a way, but it's not. You know, I mean, you can literally drop you or me into any city in the world and within two days, we can have, you know, a network of 10 people, you know, just by throwing these parties. I know uh, in the uh, 2001, I believe, 2000, 2000, 2001, 2002, I was throwing uh, cash flow parties. And Robert Kiyosaki at the time had a game. And so we put together these games and we would invite, you know, 10, 20 people. And then we would, uh, you know, each game can, you know, can be four or five people playing the game. So we would yeah. have different games. I think it was called Cashflow 101. I can't remember. Anyway, so yeah, we, we had a similar thing. We didn't have name tags, which is a good idea. But uh, it is amazing how you can basically go into any country in the world and set something up, and it costs you very, very little, right? Almost nothing. And you can uh, create 
a network of people that are interesting to talk to. And like you said, you, you can make a lot of great friends, you know, because that is something that I think is lacking today is people trying to, to make friends, especially the new generation is having a very difficult time, you know, Gen Zs, whatever, you know. Uh, they, 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 they are not used to these, uh, you know, conversations or hanging out with people, and it's, it's just a matter and a function of going out there and, uh, you know, learning how to do it, I suppose. I mean, for us, it was easy. We just, you know, was, we didn't think about it, right? But that's great. I love that. I think that's really fantastic. I mean, you know, the uh, 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 hats off to you for being uh, proactive and being able to do that because, uh, again, there is people that are longing for these type of events, right? And, you know, big events, eh, it's kind of harder to meet people, but they're, if they're intimate and, you know, you throw a little coffee thing or champagne or something, it's kind of cool, right? So that's awesome. Wonderful. I love that. So, yeah, yeah so now take us into, uh, you know, your uh, kind of professional uh, endeavors and, and all that. Yeah, well, I would say that I'm sort of a failed entrepreneur, but successful social entrepreneur, uh, in addition to climbing the corporate ladder. So back when I was in college, I was really fascinated with digital marketing. And being in Houston, there weren't a lot of digital marketing jobs at that time. So I left my job at Continental Airlines, and I moved to New York City with a couple of friends in a very small apartment. And they said they had a third bedroom for me. But the third bedroom was really like a large closet with no closet. door. <laughs> and I couldn't even fit a bed in there. I had one of those, those bunk beds that you climb the ladder and to sleep <laughs> on the bed and all my stuff was underneath. <laughs> and so, but it was a fantastic time. I mean, I, we laughed a lot. We found all the cheap places in New York City, like the all-you-can-eat you know, Mexican restaurant on Monday night, uh, you know, the Chinese buffet place in Queens that we could go to. Uh, there was a place called the Fat Black Pussycat where you could get, uh, you know, beer, like like jugs of beer, you know, for $4 until 8 o'clock. So we found all the cheap places. And um, I wrote a, a lot of code letters to different agencies at that time. And there was one small agency that invited me in for an interview. I had researched the, uh, the founder. I, I read a magazine article about him. And I guess he... He found that that was, you know, he was a little impressed. He invited me in and he knew I was hungry. He knew I had drive. And so they gave me an opportunity to uh, kind of start my media slash advertising career with them. It was a small agency and uh, was assisting with the media buying for American Express. They had one big account. And uh, I started analyzing the data through Excel using pivot tables. And it was crazy because nobody at the agency knew how to use pivot tables. Right. And so I was able to like slice and dice the data and let them know like, hey, in these regions, the campaigns are performing a lot better and these ad types are performing a lot better. Let's shift a lot more money in those regions and those ad types. And before you knew it, American Express was, was, went from spending $100,000 a month to like almost a million dollars a month in ad sure. spend because we were able to improve the return on investment. And this is Absolutely. just from using pivot tables, right? Right. And so uh, I was there for a while, and I was able to get uh, a, a, an analytics job in media for Group M, which is a much larger agency, worldwide agency in their analytics department. And so I was uh, doing that sort of thing, using regression modeling and analyzing media campaigns while getting my MBA at Pace University up in New York City. And then uh, that's when the opportunity came to work for a large media agency in Bucharest. 
they were they were seeking out expats and they wanted to educate clients here in Romania about the benefits of advertising in digital media, specifically Google PPC. I was up for the challenge. I was actually getting a little tired of New York City. And so before, I didn't really want to go back to Texas. And so I had traveled a lot because I had worked for the airline. And so I thought, why not? Sure, I'll go for a year. And it turned out to be a wonderful experience. I wish I would have stayed at least two years, but I met a lot of great people and I got to see a lot of beautiful parts of the country. I experienced a very harsh winter, probably the last that we'll ever see because of global warming. But I remember the snow being like three feet high. <laughs> and in and, and Bucharest, they don't have the big snow machines like they do in Canada, so they can't really move the snow out of the way. So you're always, you know, playing that game where, where can I go to walk and I'm not going to get entirely wet because of the snow. But anyway, I met my future wife and uh, convinced her to go back, as I said in the beginning of, uh, of our conversation here. And so it definitely worked out great. And, and that's kind of uh, where the first part of my career uh, began up until about 2011. Okay. Great. And so what are you working on these days? Yeah. So these days, uh, I've got my podcast, Innovators Can Laugh. So when I moved to Bucharest, I thought, how can I get to know other people? Because like you said, I was working at home in the apartment and I didn't really have a job to go to. And I wanted to work in the startup community. And so I was interested in startups and I reached out kind of, kind of again, code email. And I actually did like some free, some free uh, pro bono work for some different uh, startups here in Romania by analyzing their user journey. And I basically pointed out where I felt like there was moments of friction or confusion for the user. And here's what I would suggest that they would do. Here's what I would, and they really appreciated that. And then that led to some contract work. And then that led to me getting referred to other startups uh, like Bonjuro. And then uh, during that time, I was in a, I was in a, a meeting with with all of my teammates at, at one of the startups, but they were from all over. I mean, they were from like Turkey and China, and they were just from all over. And the meetings were kind of awkward because, you know, the founders were a little bit young, but they didn't really know how to engage everybody in a team meeting. And so I would ask questions for everybody uh, because I was curious to know, like, you know, what's it like living where you're where you're at. And I would ask questions like. Hey, what's, what's the worst food, you know, where you're from that your parents try to get you to eat and you don't really enjoy. (laughs) And people were like sending images. Oh, this is what it looks like. And you would see like this image of jelly with like bones or meat inside the jelly. And and people were like, Oh yeah, my grandma tries to get me to eat that, you know? And, and I would make these team meetings fun because I was asking, you know, these, these really kind of quirky questions, but people were laughing you know, people were, it was, it was building trust around, among the group and people were, you know, able to start working better because of that. And someone had made the comment like, oh my God, you should have a podcast, you know, and, and you just have people and you asking these questions. And that really got to me. It stuck with me. And I thought, why not? And so since I'm in the startup community here in Europe, I thought I could interview European startup founders and so that's how it began. And that actually led to me interviewing Shaba, who's the founder of OptiMonk, who I'm working for now. He was on my podcast. We had a great conversation and we stayed in touch. And when he found out that I was actually looking for another opportunity, he sold me on the vision of OptiMonk. 
He told me, here's the five-year roadmap. I think you could play a big part here. Let's define what you can do and uh, how to make this role fun, but also very valuable for the company. And so it was the first job that I ever got where I, without having to interview or even submit a resume, all because of doing a hobby on the side. Right. Amazing. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, uh, you know, my background is uh, diverse, uh, everything from uh, being a, a, a waiter to owning a hotel to developing real estate, to uh, being a, a flight attendant, believe it or not, uh, and uh, to uh, you know writing code, to <laughs> being one of the biggest affiliates uh, 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 around. And uh, so I'm super um, uh, uh, understanding of, of, of PPC, paid uh, uh, marketing and uh, you know so tell us a little bit about Optimunk. Uh, it's it's a great name. I like the name. Uh, I hope there that you guys meditate every morning for twenty <laughs> minutes before you start work. <laughs> uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about Optimunk. I'm 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 I'm, I'm uh, curious to see what uh, makes them uh, stand out or differentiates them from other uh, optimization players in the in the space. Yeah, I'll happily do so, but I do want to hear a little bit about your background. I mean, if you're hanging out with Robert from Rich Dad, Poor Dad, then obviously I want to know how you go from flight attendant to real estate <laughs> mogul. <laughs> it's, it's basically, I get very bored with things, and, uh, and when, I, when I start things, I jump in head first, even if I don't know what I'm doing, and uh, I'm stubborn, and I'm driven, and so basically I, I, I want to get to the top. And when I do, I look around and I say, okay, well, that was fun and let's go and do something else. So, yeah, that's basically, you know, it. And uh, I surround myself with uh, really interesting and smart people. I usually want to be the, the most stupid person in the room uh, if it's a project, <laughs> right? So that I can learn the most or I can leverage uh, other people's um, time. And I'm a big proponent of the 80-20 principle. Uh, Four-hour work week uh, is uh, something that I, 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 I read the first edition, uh, mesmerized, and then I contacted Tim Ferriss, and in the second edition, we actually built a school in Vietnam together. Oh, wow. And so, so I'm in the second edition forward, which is kind of, you know, my claim to fame in that book, which is, a, you know, the Bible of, uh, you know, remote workers, supposedly, yeah. right? So, yeah, I think the 80-20 principle is really interesting. Uh, Rob, uh, Richard Koch, who... Uh, uh, wrote uh, the uh, kind of uh, updated version from Pareto, which is like hundreds of years uh, old. And uh, I met him. He was a very, very interesting guy, very smart guy. And uh, I started designing my life around uh, that principle. And I think at one point I drove myself crazy and I you know, got into the 99-1 instead of 80-20 and things just, uh, I, I wasn't enjoying life as much because I was, you know, putting math into everything I was doing. And so it was, uh, yeah, I was successful, but I stopped enjoying life in some way because everything was a math equation and I didn't want it to be that way. So, so yeah, so it's, uh, you know, interesting things uh, happen to people that seek out different uh, uh, cultures and different projects and things that interest you, you know, so... Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much uh, that. But uh, yeah, and you tell us about Optimunk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ab absolutely. Uh, but again, you said something that I, I really want to come back to here because uh, not a lot of people enjoying life. And I think that was me for a long time, Mario, until I, I read something r literally l last year. And it was by Naval, the Silicon Valley you know investor. Yep. And uh, he said something like, 
you know, the only true measure of intelligence is do you, do you, did you, did you get what you want out of life? And that, that just stuck with me, right? Because it, it's so clear. It doesn't matter really, you know, what your IQ is or your background, but that, that question has two parts is, do you know what you want? And I think 95% of people really don't know, maybe even more than that, Mario. And then the second question is, were you able to, you know, get what you want? Were you able to like hack your way to get what you want? And I thought about that and I thought, what is, what do I want my life to look like 15 years from now, 10 years from now, five years from now? And I had to think about it. Okay. This is what I want for me and myself, for me and my kids, you know, for me and my family. This is the kind of uh, life that I, I want to be living, you know, four or five years from now. And the thing is with me is that I get so fascinated sort of like by that shiny object sy syndrome and I've, sure. I'm juggling OptiMonk, I'm juggling my podcast and I had this other idea for another business and I started to go down that route. I even created MVP for it and I was getting feedback. The thing is there's only so much time and I had to go back and look at that document and like this is not in my roadmap, right? right. These are not the things that are going to make me happy. So um, it, it's you're highly – obviously – you had a lot of success, but then there's a lot of people who kind of go, they're, they're, they're just not happy. And you got to figure out what are the things that make you happy. One of the things for me was just like enjoyment and the daily routines. One of the yep. daily things for me is like walking my kids to school. We live in a neighborhood where there's a beautiful park nearby and I can walk them and I find joy in that. There's a little ice cream place. There's, they can ride their bicycle. And for me, it, it gives me so much happiness that, you know, I can do that little daily activity. Absolutely. I, yeah. Yeah. So it was really yeah, interesting that you yourself. said that. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a very good way to, to approach life. I think if you position yourself first with what you enjoy doing and that for you is obviously spending time with your kids and family, uh, you know, or, you know, for somebody else, it may be going to the gym or, you know, kicking the ball down the street, whatever that is. I think that if we are in joy, and joy is in joy, so being joyful, I think everything else uh, gets attracted into your life, right? Whereas a lot of people think that they will have joy once they have the million dollars in the bank, once they have the perfect wife, once they have the perfect car. And... When they get there, they realize that the ego will kick in and say, no, 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 no. You need two cars now. You need 10 cars now. It never ends. So the realization of being uh, in the present and feeling joy is really all we need to do. As woo-woo as that sounds, it is absolutely the key to life. And it's uh, something that I think a lot of people are missing. And, you know, uh, sometimes tragedy has to hit for people to wake up and get, uh, you know... Um, reacquainted with who they really are you know at the end of the day we all want the same thing we all want to be happy and joyful and loving towards oneself and other people and life gets in the way and we forget and so it's a constant reminder i suppose right yeah yeah so kind of back to your question about OptiMonk. you know i'll start with the vision that shaba told me and he asked me you know eric why do you think people love netflix and amazon so much and you know i use amazon and netflix all the time and I was thinking about it. I'm like, well, you know, they, they got good products, right? He goes, yeah, but they also help the consumer find additional products that they would enjoy. And I didn't know this, but I think 33 or 34% of Amazon's revenue comes from recommended products, right? That is a huge number. And yep. Amazon, because of their algorithm, they're able to recommend shows um, 
that you may enjoy based on your, you know, your viewing behavior. And so what he, what he said is that before, you know, SMBs and mid-sized businesses didn't really have that, that, those capabilities. They just didn't have that technology or they didn't have, you know, the hundred developers uh, working behind the scenes to make that happen. But now they do, you know, because of advancing and advancements in technology. And so that's what OptiMonk is, is that we are giving SMBs sort of those Amazon-like superpowers to create a personalized shopping journey in real time on their website. So if a visitor that is returning a visitor to a website, they can come back to the site and it says, hi, welcome back. You know, just a reminder, here's where you left off. Here's the products that were in a cart the previous time. Or if you're a website and you're getting more than 20% of your visitors globally, you can go to the website. For example, for example, if I go to a U.S. retailer called Woodhouse Clothing and I'm based in Romania, I go to their website. There's a little message that appears and it says, hey, welcome from Romania. There's free shipping in Romania. You can shop here in Romanian currency. And by the way, when you spend more than 50 euros, um, there's free shipping. Also, the taxes are included in every price here. And so we're making it a very delightful experience. We're sort of like taking the customer's hand and leading them to the part of the website that's most valuable for them, trying to take that in, in-person real experience and bring it over to the digital world, to the online world. And so that's what we're doing. I mean, it's a personalization platform, um, and it's really intended for marketers like me that don't have a developer background. We don't know how to code. It's a drag-and-drop interface, and it's easy to get started. We've got integrations with Shopify, Clavio, and several other big tech partners out there. And we're having a lot of fun doing it. My role is really to be sort of like the evangelist. And we've created this e-commerce revolution, which is the first e-commerce reality show. And we're uh-huh. taking a handful of brands. And over 90 days, we're filming all of our meetings, but over 90 days for free, we're actually going to implement some of the uh, truest and best optimization and personalization strategies. And we've invited outside partners, outside CRO experts, as well as agencies and other tech partners to come on board. And they're devoting their time and uh, a little bit of their knowledge and sharing their, you know, their, their recommendations offer free and we're filming all of this. And so that's what we're busy with now. We're pretty excited with now. And I've been able to, to do, you know, what I do best. And that's like, partnerships, building those relationships, as well as engaging with people, engaging with the brands. And now we're trying to create this really good content into this reality show and let the world know how we can help, you know, by helping these brands, this is how we can help your brand. Amazing. That's great. Did you get that idea from Harmon Brothers? I don't know who Harmon Brothers is. Uh, Oh, God, you have to. You have to check them out. Harmon Brothers is, uh, in my opinion, the top... uh, company that creates uh, brands and rebrands that uh, and, and then shoots commercials. So they're specialists at commercials. And I'm sure uh, if you uh, look them up online, you'll see some of the commercials which won awards and everything. Uh, the big one being Squatty Potty. I don't know if you yes! remember Squatty Potty. Yeah, so the, they uni- did that. the unicorn. The unicorn, right. So that's them, right? And actually, they, they did something similar. And uh, I, I actually ran three brands on Amazon myself. One of them I exited successfully two and, two and a, three years ago now. And uh, we were chosen uh, 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 by Harmon Brothers to be part of this uh, 
think it was 20 companies and I think something like, I don't know, 5,000 companies applied. And so then they took us through the whole pro it wasn't it, it wasn't so much a reality thing, but it was basically taking us through a process. And uh, we had to do all these crazy things with an iPhone and all this and, and <laughs> film ourselves. <laughs> it was great. And so, you know, it was uh, we finished second. We didn't win it. We finished second. That sucked. But we got a lot of free stuff. And the winner, I believe, uh, got a $100,000 uh, commercial. Their commercials run at $1.2 million. And so it was like a, a mini commercial. We didn't win it, unfortunately, but it was really fun. The process is amazing. So I love that. It's a, it's a really cool thing. I think uh, you're, you're doing the right thing. So that's exciting uh, that you guys are doing that. Tell me the name of your brand so I can go look this, these videos up and, and see what they did. <laughs> well, uh, the brand that I exited is called Poop Like a Champion. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, the, uh, the highest uh, uh, fiber cereal in the world. And uh, we started uh, uh, six, seven years ago, uh, maybe eight. And uh, I had some partners. And uh, we, uh, yeah, like I said, we exited a couple of, uh, three years ago now uh, to a company in Singapore. And uh, it's, it's changed now. I mean, some of their vision is a little different than ours. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was a fun ride. And, you know, with a name like that, I tell you, we, had, uh, we were on a lot of uh, radio shows. We were on a... <laughs> You know, we actually made it to Shark Tank, believe, uh, believe it or not, you know. And uh, we, uh, we qualified for Shark Tank, and it was right during COVID. And they wanted us to, uh, they, 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 could, they didn't want to film in Hollywood because of all the garbage. And so Vegas opened up, I suppose. And so they uh, wanted us to go to Vegas. And the, the, the breaking point was that they wanted to, us to quarantine for three weeks. And I was like, <laughs> I can't, are you, what are you guys nuts? Like, I'm not quarantining in, for three weeks in a hotel room in Vegas eating, uh, you know, burgers. So I, 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 you know, even though it was a big opportunity, I just, you know, I, my, my, my uh, partner is an attorney and he, you know, he's like, I can't, I can't leave, you know, my life for three weeks and yeah. neither could I, I was, uh, uh, living in, in Thailand at the time, I believe. And so, unfortunately, we weren't make, but we did, you know, we did make it onto the show, but not uh, onto the actual filming of it, right? So it was, it was, it was cool. It was a lot of laughs, a lot of things. Everybody, everybody joked around about it because of the funny name, but uh, it, was, it was really, it was really fun. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm super aware of uh, uh, um, uh, Amazon and analytics and how they run things and work things and the type of data. I mean, at the end of the day, Amazon is not. Uh, uh, e-commerce platform, they're a data company in my opinion, right? So they have so much data that will be uh, used for AI down probably already, but you know, like for, for years to come, you know? Yeah, yeah. What was the biggest market for uh, for that product, for Poop Like a Champion? Uh, Americans. Okay. Worst diet in the world. So, you know, <laughs> and, and, and not, only th <laughs> not only that, it's also um, the, the, and, uh, the, the, the most uh, drugged up society in the world uh, is the United States, unfortunately, Big Pharma. And one of the huge side effects of taking antidepressants and opiates is constipation. And this is something that people don't obviously want to talk about. And, uh, and so okay. we build a bridge with humor for people to be able to, you know, uh, yeah. go to the bathroom, so to speak, right? It's not, it's not a fun thing, but, uh, you know, uh, you... I can't tell you how many messages I have received on our corporate line from elderly people, especially that basically uh, were crying. Like it was very, very emotional. You know, they, they just, I mean, we're talking about something like that nobody really wants to talk about. Right. And, uh, yeah. you know, there's old people that haven't been to the bathroom in two weeks. 
three weeks, a month, and I'm just like, what the, on earth? And you know, it's 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 not fun. And uh, this was a really really big solution. It was all natural. Uh, it was a really good product, and we stood behind it. And uh, it it was, you know, five, six times more expensive than you know anything that's out there. And anything that's out there that's mass produced is 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 really not good for you. It's full of sugar and the amount of actual you know good br uh, 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 brand with, that they use is is actually very 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 limited, right? So, yeah. anyways, yeah, it was uh, you know a, a really fun uh, fun experience. Yeah, what's crazy is that you lived in San Diego, and San Diego is probably one of the healthiest cities in the states. Yeah. I, I I grew up in Houston, which was consistently voted the fattest city in America for yeah. years. You know, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So if you if you thought San Diego was unhealthy, I mean, wow. In the in the South, oh my God. Yeah. Well, I know. I mean, I I, I I had businesses in Oklahoma City, and I, I owned a hotel there, and I owned a lot of real estate there. And I I, I tell you, I was shocked. I remember when I first, you know, I was living there 10 days of the month and the first kind of uh, stint of that 10 day process, uh, I remember trying to find a place that has salad. I mean, a real salad, you know, like not just, you know, uh, uh, a lettuce and, and, a, and a slice of tomato. We're talking about a real salad. And I remember driving around, I believe it was like an hour and a half going from restaurant to restaurant. Uh, uh, even though I had, you know, Google Maps, it was just you know, uh, th these guys must have a salad, you know? And I was like, I, and so finally we found a French restaurant. And it was like, oh my God, like if it takes me this long to find a salad, what about everybody else? I mean, everybody else just goes to, t you know, Taco Time or Taco Bell or whatever, you know? And it's like, hey, it's cheap. It's down the road. Let's do it. So super concerning, you know? I mean, I don't think it's a good thing, you know? But uh, you, you have to basically, it's funny, like it's as if, Living healthy these days, mentally and physically, is something that you have to actively pursue in such a way where you almost become uh, obsessed by it. You know, mm -hmm. like it's it shouldn't be this difficult to live a healthy life, but it is, and that has obviously been engineered, and it's only going to get worse with AI. So I think it's 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 great to go to these places. It's it's like the poor places of the world have got it going on. You know, like Africa and, and parts of Asia and Eastern Europe and everything. Any place where the average salary is under, like, I don't know, $600, they still live normal <laughs> lives, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I always joke. I'm like, you know, I'm probably going to end up in Africa somewhere because, uh, you know, that's still kind of where people are somewhat normal, I suppose, right? Because this uh, debauchery of uh, our society is getting out of hand in, in many ways, right? But, yeah. you know, it's... It is a learning experience, and uh, you know, it's it's uh, all you can do is change yourself and your habits and affect uh, your local community, and then from there, hopefully, it'll vibe out into other people, right? Yeah. When I went back to Houston after living in New York City for about a year, my parents were really concerned. They thought I was sick because I had lost 15 pounds, and I lost 15 pounds because I was no longer in the car, right? I was right. walking everywhere. I was walking right. considerably more than I had ever walked in my life. And right. of course, because I was walking everywhere, I wasn't necessarily eating fast food that much anymore. And right. I came back and they, they thought, you know, they, they asked me multiple times, are you okay? You know, you, you seem like you're a little sick. I'm like, no, Crazy. actually, this is probably my normal weight that I should be walking around. <laughs> Isn't that funny how looking healthy, people associate now with sickness and like, it's just so backwards, right? It's like we're living in an upside down world, you know, but uh, yeah, for sure. So. 
let's, uh, let's wrap it up. I, uh, I usually ask my uh, guests the following question, and uh, it is the following. If you were in my shoes and would ask yourself a question that I did not ask on this podcast, what would that be? Uh, I would say, you know, the first question, I don't know why this came to mind. Do you have any regrets? And um, I, I think there's really no big regrets. And it's because there's sort of this quote that I always go back to when I remember contemplating doing something. And I don't know who said this, but the quote is, um, life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. And that is always, you know, referencing that quote has always um, influenced the decisions that I make. And whether or not it's the right decision, at least I don't go back thinking, God, I wish I would have done that, right? That's awesome. I love it. That's really great. Well, hey, it's been a real, uh, you know, amazing experience. I, I really enjoy talking to you. Uh, hopefully, we'll, we'll do it again. Uh, we're not really that far away from each other. Um, probably a couple hours drive, I think. But uh, yeah, let's meet up uh, in person sooner than later and uh, we can do uh, another podcast. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Mario, for having me on the show. Awesome.